Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But, but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, hey, folks. Hey, 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 hey. How y'all doing out there in podcast land? Hope you're doing well. Hope you are living your best life. Man, it is the summer here. Uh, if you're listening to this in real time, you already know it's it is uh, at least here in Chicago. It's been it's been nice and saucy. Um, you know, a brother loves some heat, but golly, man, I tell you, this uh, the daggone humidity has been uh, something else. I am. <clears throat> The humidity is crazy. I I am definitely not a fan of that. Uh, I give it to y'all who can handle humidity. Although I haven't really ever met anyone who likes humidity. Um, It's just uh, last few days, it's felt like, you know, you've stepped out of the shower and or actually you walk into the bathroom when somebody's taking a shower uh, with no windows or ventilation and whatnot. And you're just kind of just sitting in there and you're like, whoa. Uh, um, So anyways you know that's what we talk about here in the midwest right the weather um have like six different weather apps trying to figure out what uh you know what's gonna what's gonna work what's not gonna work all that good stuff well welcome to uh profane faith uh this is dan white hodge and uh you know i am the curator here of profane faith the podcast and Oh man, the wild, wild week uh, once again. Here I am, day, uh, let's see, what day are we in? We're heading into day 15, 16 of uh, Twitter jail. Uh, still in jail, still uh, still locked out of my account. And uh, oh man, I tell you, it's it's frustrating because on at so many levels that, uh, and for those of you who haven't seen the tweet, uh, you can probably go to my Facebook uh, profile and and look, I posted a post there and uh, I don't know, social media pisses me off. And honestly, one of the reasons I still use it is because of this podcast. And I get that that's how, you know, we communicate these days, but it it pisses me off because, it you know, I it, it, we're dependent on a white run system, uh, a white run system that uh that that use utilizes technology that isn't always the fairest <laughs> to put it mildly um you know i think that uh you know when we start to think about algorithms and how those things uh you know work and just the amount of racism that 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 has prevented uh you know people of color to actually be working in those spaces and 
And more importantly, just just to have the diversity, just to be able to be sitting in a meeting being like, yeah, you know, this algorithm isn't going to work because it's tagging people of color or, you know, this these particular bots are actually do you realize that it's disproportionately picking up on uh, people of color, you know, who are just stating their whatever they're stating. And it's not even picking up on the people who are actually spewing hate out there uh, on the uh, on the Internet. So I, I find it just just ridiculous you know what i'm saying it's like when facebook started kicking people off they kicked off farrakhan right he was like the only black person in that in that group that they kicked off i'm like so you would amount farrakhan in the same goddamn group as um uh uh you know uh any of these other hate you know hate mongers the rest of them were like white men and stuff and they you know they kicked them off and um i was like wow okay Okay, you know, and it, it felt like okay, they you know, Facebook was like doing one of those things like, well, we can't kick all these white guys off, you know. It's like, well, who's who's the black guy we can kick off? Uh, close to five o'clock, Farrakhan. You know what I'm saying? Some stupid shit like that. So I don't know, and so yeah, it just it gets me to rethink all of my own practices of social media and how we view just this system and platform that we're all so connected and addicted to uh and that and that again gets me to think just again just theoretically and just the amount that is of time that is spent on there the fact that we have a president that holds entire you know news broadcasts on there i mean the fact when he tweets something it's like national news and international news um yeah at the, all those things just you know they they tend to irk a rhetorician um and nevertheless you know we're here you know at, at points you feel powerless because it's like i would love to start my own thing right it's like that was the whole reason i you know if you know anything about podcasting i don't i you know i look i researched a lot of the different platforms that that have um you know podcasting and whatnot i think one of podbean and um it was not uh, not stitcher but um uh there's there was another one with an s Spreaker, I think it was called. And, you know, I just looked at him and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to self-host. I'm going to get the app that uh, for uh, WordPress. And um, I'm just I'm going to use that. I'm going to I'm, I'm just going to self-host. And, you know, because and even so, I'm, you know, the servers that you're listening to this on right now um, are not mine. I mean, I pay my bills. But if I, quote unquote, violate the terms of agreement, um, you know, they could send me into Internet jail. Right. You know, I could be put into that because, again, I don't own the actual system that this thing is sitting on. And, and we live in such a volatile time that this understanding of what free speech means and who it applies to, um, how we define hate speech. Right. This is where the understandings of race is. Right. It's like when this blunt instrument of control goes out it usually disproportionately affects people of color and um you know those are the things that frustrate me um when it comes to this type of material you know i'm going to continue to keep putting out podcasts i'm going to continue to you know do what i do um but uh yeah you know platforms and things that we sit on don't necessarily always work out that way so nonetheless here we are and uh again you know it just gets me to uh to thinking and just the, you know, the frustration <laughs> sets in so nevertheless uh you know uh hopefully you're still enjoying the podcast and um uh, it sounds like lecrae actually listened to 
this podcast from last week. Again, if you're listening to this in real time, um, uh, last week uh, we had, uh, you know, my my good friend, uh, Dr. Uh, Shanika Walker Barnes was uh, was on and we were talking about uh, just the madness that was uh, with Lecrae and this whole thing was with, uh, you know, white evangelicalism. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. He was. Yeah, he I guess he had responded. I, I, I this this is what uh, Dr. Barnes had sent me because, uh, again, I'm locked out. And he said uh, it was good learned a lot i think that i didn't know what i didn't know accommodating white privilege was revelatory thinking on how to respond to stuff was good dr barnes is a beast dan sounds like you want to fight me i ain't blocked that woman and i apologize to the ladies so you know it's like all right you know that's 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 cool uh lecrae you still listening bro it's not dan it's dr hodge <laughs> you know what i'm saying um you know i'm just like you, you dan huh you you know me like that huh but uh it, at any rate um you know it's like okay if, if you listen that's that's great again you know for me i'm just like okay what's the action are you gonna do better um or not you know and i'm still waiting you know to get you on the show we can we can have this conversation and stuff man but at any rate you know I'm glad folks listened to it. It was, uh, you know, I think it was the number two download um, of that week. And so, uh, you know, that that works out. That works out. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. So thanks for all the loyal supporters that are out there. Thank you for the emails. Thank you for the encouragement. I appreciate that. I take it all in. Uh, these are, again, crazy times. And um, I'm glad it's the summer. But at the same time, you know, the work is still need to be done. And um yeah, uh, we just got to keep pressing forward and, and whatnot. And so we'll just keep pressing forward. We we'll just keep pressing forward. And hopefully, hopefully we see some more change, you know, in uh, in our lifetime. You know, um, you see, we can only we can only continue to move, try to move forward and try to do uh, better for our community and for, for and for kids, man, and for the kids. You know, I know with a daughter and everything. So. At any rate, here we are. Uh, this week, though, I'm excited. I'm going to get right to my guest. Uh, this this week is special because, man, this is this is my godson. This is Davon Lamont Latroy Bland. And um, I've known this brother since he was probably about eight. <laughs> and um, he is just an amazing person. I've been trying to get him on the show. Just the way he thinks he is a walking, literal IMDb. If you don't know, IMDb is Internet Movie Database. He's he. You could ask him anything about any movie. Uh, just amazing in terms of just understanding film and film history, uh, social connections. He's up in the Twin Cities. In fact, I was actually going to. I recorded this particular episode literally two days before uh, George Floyd was killed. Um, and uh, all that stuff, you know, broke out in the Twin Cities and, and for the nation for that matter. Um, and uh, I had him on and he's just he's he's an amazing guy. And I wanted y'all to check him out. Uh, he's a comedian. He's a musician. He's an activist based, of course, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He is a co-founder, co-producer of Uproar Performing Arts. Uh, he has run the Comedy Corner Underground and has performed in the 1000 Laugh Comedy Festival. This guy is actually really funny whitehodgepodcast.com you can check out the show notes i'm going to put a link there to a little film that he did uh that you really you know it went viral man people blew that thing up and stuff and so check that little thing out 
um because it's it's amazing and uh you know uh if if you are in the twin cities and you get a chance to uh you know uh support this brother i highly recommend doing that uh guys right now it's a real tough time just for comedians i mean i can't even imagine that's your profession um because you know <laughs> you know we were well you know well now that we've opened up the state i guess maybe we can go into clubs but it, nevertheless it's been a rough time um so without any further ado here's my godson davon and i just chopping it up about life god race comedy and how all those things fit together check it out stay safe Yafet Kono uh, last night. It's called Bone. Okay. All right. It came out in like 72. And the story is just about like Yafet Kono breaking into this uh, this uh, rich uh, Beverly Hills white couple's home and like him breaking into their home, setting off a chain of events that would just like change their their world and their marriage and stuff like that wow. certain parts of that movie have like social commentary of that time but certain parts of it don't age well at all <laughs> yeah yeah i know i was watching um a mad 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 world man and i think uh oh, so good yes 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 although i'm always just like wow man you're like you know the amount of ethnic jokes that are made or just this, like the subtle racism that's in there those uh, scenes is just cracks me up, but I'm always amazed at just how much they would fit in into one shot. I was noticing just how much, and I was like, I think Dave on would probably appreciate this, man. I was like, they're having this whole conversation and like today's movies, you know, it's cut this and cut that and cut to this, but it was like one wide angle shot for almost mm. 15 minutes of just dialogue and just these, you know, the, the the renowned co comedians just kind of going at it and stuff, man. I was like, wow, that's that's interesting. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Techniques have changed and stuff, and sometimes it's like a mixture of like uh, equipment and what they were doing back then. But I, I do miss that sort of long take sort of thing, as opposed to the sort of like sometimes sometimes the fast cutting. You can kind of see where the the uh, the performances don't match well. Yeah. It takes. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely, man. That's yeah. That's some, that's some stuff. <laughs> so, well, man, I appreciate you coming on today, brother. This is, this is good. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for reaching out. It's been a minute since we, uh, we've had like a good, you know, heart to heart talk. So this is much needed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. Um, well, shoot, let's, let's hop in. I did hit record and your levels sound good, man. Um, Welcome to Profane Faith, Brother Dave on. Thank you. How's it going? Oh, man, that's good. Well, you know, for the folks I know you, I've known you a long time, actually, now. I've met you, first met you when I got engaged to Emily. She said, oh, man, I got yeah. these these great godsons. Uh, we still watch the wedding video with you and uh, <laughs> Antonio walking down the aisle. I think Mahari was just a little peanut uh, at that point, man. Yeah, he was, he was just born that year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and then you came out to California a whole bunch of times and uh, hung out and we'd go to Universal Studios and all that good stuff, man. But for the people who don't know you, man, what's been happening from birth to now? Birth to now. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a lot of ground to cover. Yes, sir. Uh, Come on now. 
Ah, we got to, uh, just with myself, or we got we to gotta talk about the East Coast, West Coast thing? We, uh, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, there is a lot. There's a lot going on, man. I mean, I'd say, you know, you can you you, you can go either way with it. Just main, mainly about yourself, but, you know, because I know a lot's been happening and, and whatnot. You a 90s kid? Yeah, 90, 92. That's right. That's right. Okay. Uh, born in 1992, uh, September 10th, um, born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota, or b- born and lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then we, we moved from, uh, Cedar Riverside, which is a, a, uh, it's kind of like project housing in a way. So there's a, in Minneapolis, Cedar Riverside is this, uh, this huge sort of, uh, project housing in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we lived there for about like three or four years. And then we moved around with different family members until we lived in the suburbs. Um, and I lived there from I think maybe like two, 2000 until I moved out in 2018. And then mom and my brothers lived there from like when we moved in until a little like last, last October. Okay. Um, so, man, I think yeah, we lived there for quite some time. Totally different experiences going from like living in Minneapolis um, to the suburbs. There's um, <laughs> there's a lot of there was a, a bigger sense of community in Cedar Riverside. Uh, our family members were able to come visit us okay. a little bit easier than they were when we moved. Not that they didn't when we moved into the suburbs, but you're so you're so cut off from the city. Like mm-hmm. the, the transit system doesn't work the same out in the suburbs. It's the same transit system, but the, the, uh, the, the, the times in which the buses come and stuff like that are lesser. So we, we didn't have any family members that didn't drive. Couldn't really come out to see us as often. Um, the schooling system was a little bit different. I remember in Minneapolis, we were like, you know, we were working on typical stuff. But like certain things, I felt like once I moved to the schools and the suburbs, like the the education was like a little bit more advanced. Like we, I think we moved in the second grade, and I remember us doing a project on Kenya in the second grade. I remember think going up to mom and be like, "Mom, we're learning about Kenya. This is too smart for me," <laughs> and just being shocked that like. Thinking like ah, second graders don't learn about countries and history. Like this is too much. But <laughs> that being like a significant moment, and looking back on that, it makes me think about why why that was, and why the education system in Minneapolis or like the teaching is a little bit different. Yeah. Also, the school that I used to go to, uh, Tuttle Elementary, when we were in Minneapolis, doesn't exist anymore. Interesting. Um, the building itself exists and they, they used it for a different school at some point, but the, the, the school itself lost funding and they had to, you know, get rid of staff and students had to be transferred and everything. So I, I think about that from time to time, going from a school hmm. where we didn't learn about Kenya to a school where that was just an assignment we had to do. <laughs> Man, that that is a trip. That is a trip. And I remember you talking about some of that. Now, I mean, I'm curious to know what was the genesis for the movement from you know the city into the suburbs, man. What was do you, oh, we, do got, you... we got evicted? 
<laughs> we got evicted. We got okay. evicted. We were kind of just. I get. I think we were just chilling with different family members until we got accepted into housing. You know, there's always like a wait list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for these things, so we we lived with. Uh, I think first and second grade, like a li- late first grade, early second second grade, we lived with three different people. We lived with two aunts, and my grandma. And when we lived with the, the the second aunt who lived in uh, Minneapolis by the U, we ended up moving, um, yeah, to the suburbs. Okay. So at one point, mom was just like, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to take a trip to the new house. And we were going to just check it out. Or in my, in my child's mind, we were just going to check it out. And then we just were there for several years. Okay. Okay. Man, yeah, and y'all were there in the the that one spot. Was it the one in Golden? No, Golden Valley. No. Yeah, that's the, that's the one. Yeah. Y'all yeah, were we there. Actually, we lived in uh, two units. Okay. In that, uh, townhouse. We lived in like one unit that was closer to the highway side, and then we moved into a unit that had more rooms. The first one had two rooms, and this next one had three. Uh, and it, I mean, it was like growing up in the suburbs was chill. A lot of people, a lot of a lot of people do that thing where it's like, oh, I grew up in the suburbs. Ugh. We like we grew up in the suburbs in income based housing. Uh-huh. So it was still technically the projects like we we had issues of like since we didn't own and we rented and it was income based. um Ownership of the of the the units would always change over sometimes it would be uh public housing and then sometimes someone would buy it and then it would switch to something else owners had like different policies we had different uh on-site management people who had different who were like effective in different ways or like rude in other ways right um rules would constantly change we had one manager for years who didn't care what we did that much so long as we paid rent and didn't cause any trouble and then maybe like he left after five years and we got a new one and their management and ownership was like they put in rules where they said that we couldn't have things on our front porch we couldn't plant things we couldn't have we couldn't look like we lived in the U.S. (laughs) right and right. that, that wasn't like a state thing. That was just like the owners of the property were just like, we don't like when people do that. Wow. But we could do it beforehand because the owner, the previous owners didn't care. They were like, these are your units. So like things like that always affected us. Right. Right. Man. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't I mean, I, I worked in apartment management for many, many, many years. And um that's what folks I don't think understand. It's like, man, you get a new, really, and you know, a new anything, new maintenance person, a new, you know, uh, uh, management team, you know, and right, they, everybody comes in with rules, and it seems like, <laughs> it always seems like, man, those those positions tend to attract the people who want to keep like all the rules, right? It's like, yeah, you can't hang this or you can't put that, and don't paint this, and oh, geez. Mm-hmm. What, um, let me ask this then. So what, uh, cause you grew up, man, what, what was your, cause I know, again, a lot of people don't know, man, just your connection with film, man. What, what got you into film? I mean, was it just movies growing up, man? How did you see that? Cause you got, you know, you're of one of three brothers. You're the oldest of, of three. Yeah, yeah. Um, films. 
I, we we always watched films growing up. Really, my my connection to film, I would say, is just really my connection to pop culture. I'm obsessed with pop culture. I'm obsessed with like history and imagery. You know, imagery okay. is like such a huge part of pop culture and American pop. We're obsessed with images um, and our relation to them. And I, I remember, I remember growing up as a kid watching cartoons, watching different movies, and I always liked cartoons and just watching movies in general. But I remember like it had to be like summer of '99 or something, not '99 or '98, and uh, I was up late, late at night. Now I, I was always a kid who tried to be, who like liked to stay up late, yeah, and, like watch things on cable and stuff like that. <laughs> I was always that kid. I was, I, I was always watching TV. I love TV. A lot of people hate it because of the commercials and stuff. I was the kid who loved the commercials. I love jingles. Is that right? Um, yeah, because they, they, some of them are really great. Some of them are terrible. You know, it's, it's consumerism and all that. But, like, the Mentos commercial still slaps. I love that. <laughs> the Mentos commercial. Yeah. Oh, um, that's funny. But I, I remember be, one day... Uh, my mom, someone in the house had rented the Spike Lee movie He Got Game. Okay. Uh, and I remember waking up, or not waking up, the, uh, they were watching it and everyone went to sleep and it was playing on v- VHS and it looped, it was looping that night. Okay. And I remember watching it and at the time my dad was in jail and that's that's a, uh, in the film, I don't know if people haven't seen it, that's a that's a plot point in the film. Is a Denzel Washington character is in jail. At some point, he gets out to talk to his son. Um, so our our relationship was strained, not in a contentious way. It was just you know I was a young kid and my dad was in jail, and that's all it was. Um, yeah. But I remember seeing that film and it having a really strong effect on me. Hmm. Um, just the the images of you know people playing basketball. I was loved basketball. Space Jam was my favorite. Space I, Jam. I, I think those films are like interesting compared to each other because one is just like a really great fantastic you know fantasy film. The other one is sort of gritty and interesting. But there's something about the the last scene of He Got Game when uh, Jesus Shuttlesworth is in the basketball court and his dad's in another basketball court in prison. And he just, he throws him the rock, you know? Okay. And as a, as a kid, I knew like that there's something powerful about that scene where it's not, that's not physically possible, but the mm-hmm. fantasy element of it was just so powerful. I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, this is important. There's something here happening that doesn't happen in other films. Like this is art, you know? So that's, that's stuck with me because mm. I could connect with it, with my dad being in jail and like wanting to connect with him and like, you know, it being a basketball film that didn't have Bugs Bunny in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bugs Bunny. Yeah. But, but so I, I loved films because of that. I got more interested in films once I started getting more interested in history and pop culture mm-hmm. and just looking up as many facts as possible. First, I started learning about the history of films from like the 1890s all the way up until the present. And you learn about um, 
different cameras and different types of uh, techniques that we consider to be plain and simple now that were, you know, innovative a hundred years ago. Um, you learn about this history was fascinating to me. And then once I started learning about the history, I started learning about uh, genres and which genre films, you know, created subgenres and all that. And then after that, you start learning about um, film theory and why, how film is cinema itself is a, is a, uh, an illusion, and the I- idea of that of it being an illusion is what got me the most. That this is a this is an art, but it's also an illusion, but it's also an entertainment. So like the 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 concepts of those combined just like is is has always fascinated me so much. And I used to tell people that I felt the film was the greatest art form of all the art forms because it contains all of the art firms into one. I've now gotten off my high horse because of it. I used to get into a lot of arguments with people about it. Um, oh, man. But it, but it still has a, a huge, profound uh, impact on me. And Because, and, you know, we, we watch films, and they end up, you know, affecting media, affecting culture. Absolutely. Style style trends, musical trends, all of that. Well, I mean, and I'm curious with that, man, because, I mean, I know I remember it hit me because I remember when you would come out to California and uh, I remember one year I took you to UCLA and their their film school and whatnot, and we were touring and there was this one lecture going on and it it was just that. It was the history of film. Um, And I remember walking in and we sat down for a minute and, we, you know, there was like several other things we had to do and, I wanted you to check out and I remember looking over at you, man. And I was like, oh, man, this cast is bored because this guy's just lecturing and everything. And I was like, all right, man, come on, go. He's like, no. And you were like, no, no, no. Um, hold on. No, man, this is good. You were like into it, just soaking <laughs> up the, the 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 material. And I was like, all right, this brother. And you were like, what, nine, <laughs> ten? I mean, it was it was uh, it, that. That year, I had, I think I was, when we went to UCLA, UCLA, I think I was maybe like 14 or 13. Oh, 14 or 13? Okay, all right, man. It's, it's, yeah, still, I was just like, man, that's this cat, man. Because I remember we were at one point, we were looking at trying to get you, you know, out there to, you know, to go to one of the, the, the film schools, man. Um. Mm-hmm. So how then, when you think about the art, how does that speak to some of the things, um, you know, because obviously so much has changed and, and, and over the years and now people are, you know, using digital as opposed to just playing, even though some directors are still, you know, actually going back to the medium of, of film. I know as a musician coming back and learning, you know, all these new things that, you know, I'm just amazed to see just how much tape is desired in a plug-in but not the maintenance of the tape right like to keep a tape machine in the calibration and all that stuff like that um what why do you see that in in terms of just like where we're at now man i mean just all the shit that's going on with uh you know people taking lysol and 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 uh you know (laughs) wearing masks and you know Yeah. yeah is is wild because this is straight up out of a out of a, a post apocalyptic not even post apocalyptic but just you know some type of strange horror film sci-fi film of some sort but it's happening in real life um and a lot of sci-fi films um the great thing about them is that they oftentimes are critiques 
of you know modern life but through like different <laughs> types of lenses yeah they sort sort of like satirical but like with a serious tone but I, I don't know how you you can you know make I mean it's possible to make satire of what's happening now and do that in a cinematic way but it's also difficult because you know film production is getting shut down because of this yeah yeah this is this is a this is a major this is this you know this is a major time for inspiration and all of that and like there's probably uh, companies that were trying to make a COVID-19 franchise of some sort. Um, I remember like 10 years ago, I remember seeing that movie Contagion. Did you ever, did you ever yeah, see that? Yeah, Contagion. I, I, saw, I saw that for my birthday and I remember, I remember my mom being like shook about it and like being like a neat freak a few like for like three weeks after that washing her hands and <laughs> right all that. right and then when we found out about COVID-19 she texted me hey you remember that movie Contagion and I was like ah but it, it this is that you know yeah so it's, it's weird to see like things like that come to life when they're at one point uh we're just sort of like a what if fantasy the the illusion actually happening man Yes, I think that's what's so surreal about this because there's so much right about that particular movie, and that one I know there was a lot of it based in the Twin Cities, right? Contagion. Because I'm thinking about Contagion. Yeah. Is that the one? Because I know there was one in the '90s too. What was that one about? The one town they were trying to blow the town up. Morgan Freeman, I think, was in it. Oh, what? Outbreak or something like that. Maybe, yeah, maybe something like yeah. I don't know. Netflix popped it up as soon as this whole thing started and was like, hey, see this? And I was like, okay, well, whatever the Netflix master says, I will see. They were, they were putting out a butt. They put out some pandemic movies. They, they were they yeah. were cashing yeah. in on it. Yeah, yeah, they were. They sure were, man. They were cashing in on all that stuff, man. Um, So let's dive a little bit deeper, man, because I know you got all kind of stuff. And I see that poster in the back, Mike. I see your Tupac back there, man. That's some good stuff right there, man. Yes. I've had that since I was about 12 years old. That's what's up, brother. That's what's up. I think, and and that's what has always got me about you, Davon, is like you have, you were like, I remember, again, as a kid, we'd be having grown folks over and you just be hanging out, just like enjoying the conversation. I was like, man, this cat's got like an old soul, man. So... (laughs) How have you navigated? Because I know you've grown up in church and religion and all that, but now you a grown ass man. And so, what? Uh, and then, and then, and then, I definitely want to get to the comedy part and like what you know, what inspires you and what's gotten you. And you're, and I will say this to the folks: you're really good. We went. I remember Emily and I went to go and uh, see you in person back before you know before. You know, we could um, we could see each other and, and sit next to somebody and rub skins and whatever. Um, but uh, you know, I, I yeah, I'm curious. What are some of your thoughts on that, man? I know somebody who's like I said, grown up in a '90s kid. You know, there's the generational thing there. Mm-hmm. But what are what are what are some thoughts? Because I know you were around for 9/11. I'm not sure how much that impacted you, but I'd be curious. Just some oh, some musings there. Well, you know, 9/11 happened the day after my birthday. Oh yeah! Oh man, that's yeah. right. You did say yeah. So for uh, I I don't know that it. I mean, for sure, in in different world view ways, it affected me. I, I could I could talk for days about how it affected uh, 
my generation. But in terms of me personally, for several years, if I told people when my birth date was, it was connected to 9-11. They'd be like, what? That's the day before 9-11? Oh, that... People were kind of creeped out or, or nervous about that because it conjured up that memory of that tragic event. Um, I will say that one thing I think about from time to time is 9-11 uh, happened when I was in the third grade. And like pretty early in the fall, you know, it was like the within the first few days of school starting. Okay. And when it happened, my school was undergoing a food drive for children in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. And then this happens. We still have the food drive, but there's, you know, there's this sort of heated tension around it. Our teacher has to tell us why this is still important that we still do this. Um, she she tries to inform us about it in ways that she could talk to a kid about it, but there's still this this mindset that we have of why are we giving food to these people who uh, did this to us? And there's still not you know early when that happened there there was some information but not a ton of it. Yeah, and, you know. This happens and it's a, it's a huge tragedy. The first really huge tragedy that I have ever seen. You know, okay. I was born in '92. Um, I think the riots happened in '92. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I, I'm not, you know, physically I'm not aware of the riots. I yeah. knew about uh, you know the whole East Coast West Coast Pac and Biggie thing, but I was four when that you know when uh, four and five when they died. So their deaths didn't, you know, resonate with me like they did my mother's generation. Right, um, right. Where with like, you know, 9-11, the, the imagery of seeing the towers crash all over the news. There's that imagery that you were talking about too, man. Yeah. Grown-ups, you know, that, that image sticks with you, especially at a young age. Grown-ups, uh, grown-ups, um, just sad by this thing that happened. Uh, even taking the the airplane, I've never, you know, I never took the plane before this happened. I, I was able to go to the gate and things like that. But you know, yeah. back when you yeah. could do things like that and visit people. I remember one time uh, Emily came back from uh, from Guatemala and we went to the gate to go greet yeah. her and things like that. Yeah. But when you know, but. Uh, Coming come after that, after you know, with 9-11 happening, things like that, you know, they they ramp up security, all types of stuff. I I don't know what the the experience of that is like before that. I have no mindset of that, um, and a lot of a lot of my generation doesn't. Um, so it's it's just weird to live in a world uh, where that is the the normal when you know at some point that wasn't it, that things were a little bit more relaxed, things were a little bit calmer. Yeah. Things were not necessarily less racist, but, you know, like, I, I remember, like, knowing that the, the war on terror was not a good thing. From a young age, mm -hmm. it just didn't seem right. We went from, you know, because we, like, in my school, we were trying to give canned goods to Afghan people 
And then a year later, we were straight up going to war with him. I just didn't understand why we were going to war with people that we were trying to help at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's something that I've that's always been strange to me is um how the how thing like I, I didn't I I knew nothing about the Middle East as a kid until this happened. And then I knew so much about it, but from a, a lens that was these people are evil, these people are terrible, these people are we we gotta go to war with them. And that always felt wrong to me. Mm. Like that that the lens in which that I could see them was from one of they they did this harm to us when that's that that I mean it's terrible that you know nine eleven is a tragedy, um, but the way that you know America, the, you know the government, the military, the way they reacted to it afterwards always you know never stuck right with me. Yeah, yeah. What um and how did that? I mean, just in general, man. How, I mean, and, and that's I mean that's powerful, right? Because I mean that's a big. You know, that's a big staple mark, like you said. I mean, those prior things that happening, but that was a big, you know, that changed everything, right? I mean, even the way we oh, looked yeah. at film and television, right? I mean, it's like from that's like prior to that, it was like, okay, the bad people would be Russians. Um, you know, it's like I think about Red Dawn and it's like, okay, Russians mm-hmm. and what was it, Colombians or something like that? that or, Cuban. They had, Cuban. Uh, they had uh old dude from uh old dude from uh Super five playing the, the Cuban guy. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and the Russians. But now it's like everything from that and from that, you know, you know, spawn, you know, things like twenty four, which was in my opinion, I mean, you know, revolutionary, right? It's like you got a television show that happening in quote unquote real time, right? So right, right. um so how have you navigated, man, some of that stuff in religion and, and God and, and faith and or non faith, man? What's what's that been looking like for you? Um, you know, navigating all these things that you've been, you know, experiencing up until now. Because what you what uh, almost you you're a few years away from being uh, getting in the thirties, yes, sir. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm 27. I'll turn 28 in September. It's, it's getting there. Come on now. Um, well, in terms of uh, in terms of like faith and stuff, I think the the biggest thing is. Uh, the the biggest thing I learned from my upbringing uh, is to try to have compassion and love and understanding for people. I, you mentioned that I was always you know hanging, able to hang with the grownups, and that's just I've always been an observer and just someone who like took in his surroundings. And with that, you you end up being not to hype myself up, but I try not to I try not to judge people. Okay. Um, and within you know stuff related to nine eleven, I remember, I remember I had a I have a friend had a, I haven't seen this friend in years, but a friend named David. Um, David is from or David's family is from Iran. He's a he's a first generation uh, he comes from an immigrant family. And I remember we were coming back from like a school carnival or something. We must have been in high school. And someone shouted out, David Kazanpour is a terrorist. And a bunch of kids laughed. And I remember David, you know, snapping off and (laughs) 
defending himself and tell him, hey, you don't say that about me. Don't do that's terrible. And there was a moment where I, I had never, you know, I seen people attack people from, you know, the Middle East or from, you know, that were descended from the Middle East, but I'd never seen anyone really defend themselves. I remember hmm. seeing that moment and thinking, wow, I, if I gotta, I gotta have Davis back because people are coming at David like that. When people come at me in a racist way, they yeah. protect me. Yeah. So that compassion uh, is something I've is something I could say that has affected me from you know nine eleven and other things. Just to instead of attacking and being like we got to get vengeance because vengeance you know that you never get anything from that. What I don't you know growing up in that generation of seeing you know you know the entire Bush administration and things like that. <laughs> I don't think yeah. there was ever anything gained from any of it. Um, yeah, it maybe would we would have gained something if we had compassion, if we had understanding, if we wouldn't have spent billions of dollars trying to kill Osama bin Laden just to just to quench our thirst of we got him right. You know? Right. And that, that's that's just, you know that's just something I try not to. I try not to be the type of person that wants revenge, that wants to cause harm to other people. I don't. I don't take no BS. But I'm also very much a you know let things be what they are. I, I I try to pick my own battles, and I think a lot of that comes from my upbringing and the stories I learned, and um, being in and out of the church and. Uh, learning things from what mom taught me and what the different pastors and what you and Emily taught me is just to, you know, hold myself to a certain standard, but also to just, you know, to be understanding of others and to not judge. And I, I think that's the biggest thing I've taken away from faith and other things like that. Hmm. Uh, that's interesting, man. That's interesting. And, and how, I mean, I mean, in, in shifting a little bit, man, and what, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, so much of, you know, and I know you, you, you up on the news, right? It's like you stay in, in contact with it. It's like, you think, you know, 2016 happened and it's like, um, you know, you get a, you know, a large amount of white evangelicals or just evangelicals in general that, you know, have voted for or white, white evangelicals, you know, was it, I forgetting the number now, but it was, it was, it was up there. It was a lot that voted for Trump, um, what are you know? How, was, how have you navigated some of those things, man? I mean, and I mean, I know I've I've talked vastly about that, and just something, just some of the things, some of the areas that I feel as race intersects with religion and how it engages, then and all the other areas, right? How we understand and look at God is God white? Is God black? Is God, uh, oh, yeah. you know, is 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 God just you know like Tupac says, just another racist waiting to beat my ass? I mean, so. Mm. Talk a little bit about that, man. How have you navigated some of that stuff and engaged with some of those areas as, as, as well, man? You know, as, as it pertains, because it seems like things are just on. I mean, racism was lit prior to this, but it feels like everything's just on display now. Um, yeah. There's there's no whole bars now. And now you got white folks talking about, you know, it's it's OK to be blackface. And why can't I say the N word? And why, you know, it's like, I don't I don't know why. I mean, you, you're the ones who's racist because you won't let me be uh, say say nigger, you know. So it's like, wait a minute. The hell happened here? So I don't know. What, what do you what do you what do you think about that? I man? how's that? Yeah, we've all we've all been affected by that election. 
in ways that we don't, some of us 100% know, and then some of us will never really comprehend. Um, what I can say for my myself, my group of friends, all of us, my whole, you know, generate several generations were infected by it, uh, infected, affected by it, but um, I, I, when when it when it first, you know, I, I think that that period between uh, election day and inauguration day were some of the most heated times I've ever experienced because. I had friends that were going to like, so, there were so many protests popping off yeah. around that time. Yeah. So many friends going to protests. I was going to protests. They shut down the highway so many times in Minneapolis and over the country and things like that. People were getting into arguments face to face with people they had never seen online. Things were happening, popping off every day. People were getting into debates with people. Yeah. Uh, so many things there and we mentioned a lot of the more conservative sort of folks but there were even people young people who had this mentality of like some of them wanted to vote for certain people so badly that they if they didn't get the opportunity to do so they were like well i'm just gonna vote for trump because what does a vote even matter it was very, and it still is a very weird time, but it uh, it has transformed so many people in a way. Like, I, I would say that the 2016 the election itself had a huge effect on me because once it happened, I was, my mindset was like, okay, we just let the host of The Apprentice become president. <laughs> what right. do I need to do to change my point of view, my I need to have some type of paradigm shift of some sort. So I started getting involved with different protests, different uh, movements and stuff. I was a I was a member of the African People's Caucus. It's okay. a caucus of the General Defense Committee of the IWW, which is the International uh, Workers Union. I was I was mainly just in the African People's Caucus, just like you know, learning with with those brothers and sisters and things like that. But I wouldn't have gotten involved in that if it weren't for, you know, the times that were happening in 2016. And within getting more involved, I was able to open up to certain things. I was okay. able to, to unlearn certain things. I was able to reach out to other people and also to let go of certain things and certain people. I stopped hanging out with some of the people that I grew up with in the suburbs because their worlds were so sheltered and so small. They couldn't understand why someone would protest in the middle of the street, in the middle of the highway, because they, you know, they didn't, they weren't oppressed in certain ways. So they, you know, <laughs> yeah. They, and they they lived their life with that, you know, that viewpoint. So they couldn't understand why I or other people would do that. Um, because essentially their worlds wouldn't really change as much with Trump being president. It, it, they, it would be weird for them, but the things would still go on as normal. Whereas with the rest of us, it would have fit, you know, emotional changes for us, social changes for us, all types of stuff. I, uh, the, uh, 2017 
when Trump had first tried to impose that trap that uh that travel ban. Yeah. I was working at the rug shop. You had mentioned the rug shop earlier. Uh-huh. Um David's David's dad, my friend David, who I was talking about earlier, his dad owned uh or ran a rug shop that I was <clears throat> an employer. And they're Iranian. And Trump had like imposed a ban on people coming in from Iran. Iran in retaliation was trying to impose a ban from people going into Iran. So at one point, David's dad was going to go to Iran to go visit, you know, family. Yeah. You know, he's a U.S. citizen, but he still has family in Iran. And there was a weird moment where they were afraid for him to leave because there was a possibility that if he left, he wouldn't be able to go to Iran. But if he came back, he wouldn't be able to come into America. Yeah, which he's lived in since like the late seventies, um, and that these kind of things have a huge effect on you when it starts affecting people you know, when it starts affecting you. Like it, it becomes this thing of wow, policy is changing to a degree in which it is, it is you know, and policy has always been affecting black and brown folks. Right, weird. right. But this is like some newer stuff where it's like, oh, the the racist is getting mega racist. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. In terms of like faith in things like that, um, my my faith is like I, I don't I don't attend church that often. Um, I'm not against it. I just I have a personal relationship with my faith where I've never there there are certain times where I've never really been in a church and felt a profound connection with what is happening. The church tends to be like a communal setting and my wrestling in connection with God is very personal. There are times where I've been in church where I've been like, this is amazing. I feel one with, you know, a creator and things like that. And then there's been times where I've been like, this is I want to go home. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. Right. Things like that. Um, But in time, in terms of, you know, things happening with the presidency, you saw, you know, like you said, you've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of church uh, folks and a lot of uh, pastors siding with Trump and saying that we got to, this is our president and donating money into his platforms and things like that. Around this time, a lot of people I know who had grown up in the church or grown up um, religious started opening up their minds a little bit, uh, or more so, not necessarily open up their minds, but thinking of religion past the point of, I grew up in the church, or my family is... Uh, religious, so I am religious, and more so uh, thinking about their relationship to a higher power or to a belief system, things like that, and what it has done for them. And a lot of people, uh, the election was the catalyst for a lot of people that either, you know, lost faith or started looking deeper into the words, started not, not even the word, but the 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 institution of the church itself, and really just uh, uh, people involved in it that were hypocritical, or uh, 
or toxic to a certain degree. Not saying that it is itself that way, but a lot of people had to look at, you know, uh, certain communities and realize what was good for them and was what wasn't good for them and for a lot of people what wasn't good was going to church on sunday yeah and hearing people try to uh give sermons based on what was happening because a lot of times you'll go to church and you know you'll you'll look into the word and it'll be what it is but sometimes you, you go to church and look into the word and try to not necessarily mo- modernize it, but try yeah. to conceive it to what is happening in the real world right. now. Um, and a lot of times those sermons wasn't connected, you know, because, mm-hmm. but that's just because some, you know, people were just, you know, at each other's heads and things like that. So a lot of people I knew um, that were super religious beforehand lost their faith or started going into you know, looking for other paths and things like that. I know a lot of black and brown folks that started looking into more of, you know, not not, not religions, but beliefs, belief systems and practices that were, that existed before colonization. Yes, um, yes. Diaspora. Yes. Um, so, and, I, and I've looked into that too. Um, my thing though is that i have a because my my the way i view my relationship to to god or or higher power all these things because it's so personal i can only i I, like i wouldn't call myself an atheist i i I very i don't believe myself to be an atheist um i was raised christian and i wouldn't necessarily throw away that uh that the you know to define myself as that i wouldn't throw that away yeah but uh my views i don't want to say laxed but they're for me personally a lot of a lot of times people are looking for the answers yeah you know yeah a lot of people are afraid of the unknown so we search for the answers and sometimes we need those answers modernized for us me, I'm okay with not having all of the truth. I got you. I think, I think there's something important in not having all of the answers and having to constantly <clears throat> destruct or not just to constantly discover what a truth is, you know, for on a one-on-one basis and also on a collective basis. Um I like uh, several cousins who don't necessarily view themselves as Christian because of, you know, the history of colonization and, you know, things like that. Me personally, there are certain things about Christianity that are bad. And yeah. there are certain things about it that are really good. I have several family members who were battling, you know, major addictions and then found the church and that changed their lives completely and their lives have been way better since then. I have certain family members who were in and out of prison and then they found religion and it changed their lives for the better. Me, Hmm. I don't, you know, I'm not in and out of jail. I don't have a huge chemical dependency, but that's just because of the lessons I learned from the generation (laughs) that came before me. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so my relationship with it isn't that it is something 
like I've, I've never stood in a church and you know bawled and to my you know went down to my knees and started crying because of all that you know God yeah. created and done. For me. I, yeah. that's, that's not something I have done. I'm not you know one of those people who looks down on people who've done it because everyone has their own relationship with it. But there are times when it where I have prayed and have uh, tried to think of uh, think of ways that what God has done for me and things like that and have had to sit back and be like, wow, this is powerful and what I'm going through is a huge change. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to talk about just because it's something that I, yeah. I struggle with, but it's a struggle that I'm content with not knowing all of the answers to. I hear that. Shoot. Um, yeah, the, yeah. That's that's what I could that's what I could say about it for the most part. Um, I don't I don't really go to church that often, but every now and then I got to. You know, like the for Easter, for example. We, you know, we didn't go to any church services or things like that. But yeah. I did look up. I did look up. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Ephraim Smith, I looked yeah. up a, a Easter service that he did on uh, YouTube because something in my mind was like, you just check this out. And I checked that out, and that was my little Easter service, yeah. little YouTube yes. Easter service for the day. Yes. Um, so I, it's not something that I'm like, huge, that like is hugely... Um, What's the word? It's not. It, it's something that I was born with, or not not born, raised raised with, and reared with, and something that I not necessarily struggle with, but kind of like ponder a lot about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, there's certain things about not necessarily religion, but the the uh, the church, or and not even the church itself but the community around it a lot of a lot of people uh have a lot of people can be judgmental which yeah. is something that the way i was raised with it is not something i learned to be like i didn't i didn't learn to be judgmental with all of the teachings that i had so it's really weird to see people be that way you know yeah um it's weird to see people be judgmental. It's weird to see people have certain types of hate. Um, and they might be yeah. not as hate, but it's like certain things that like from the Bible that they, you know, certain mentality that they have to have. But I didn't, I just didn't grow up like with those lessons, you know, no one right. going through, going to so many different Sunday uh you know, Sunday churches and Bible studies, no no one, and maybe this is me having the privilege of having this, but no one ever, no pastor ever told me uh, that, home, you know, homosexuality was bad. Like, like, growing up, no one ever said that anytime I went to church. I have friends who, like, went to church and learned this from pastors or had family members that told them this straight up. But for my 27 years of life, I've never went to a church and ho heard these words exactly. So 
and that has affected my worldview in a way that like it's really weird when people will try to you know christian folks will try to very openly tell me their views around it <laughs> yeah when it's like that's not that's not what i'm about that's you know that's that's hate to me you you're you're contextualizing it in a in a in a way that gives you a moral superiority but that's not what i'm that's i've never heard that sir yeah <laughs> that's right that's right well i mean it speaks to the power right of you know the, the you think about films. I think, I think you know the Book of Eli. It, it's interesting the way religion is nuanced through that, right? It's like you got this mm. apocalyptic world, and you know, brother man, I just give it away, right? It's like uh, Denzel Washington, he's blind, right? It's like you know, right. Bruce Willis is dead, right? And the uh, <laughs> what's that? Uh, I see dead people. Um, what was that M Night Shyamalan movie and stuff? Oh, right? Six Sense. Yeah, Six Sense, right? So, but it's interesting, right? Because it's like I love. Right, Gary Oldman's character, because he's like, I saw what this thing did to people. And, you know, if you want to control one city, let's control a lot of cities. Right. And I mean, I think about the power of religion and how it confounds people to really just these little islands of judgment. Right. It's like, well, those people over there are just going to be this on. Oh, those people over there, they're going to burn in hell. And oh, I cannot believe you. You, Did you see who she was with or who he was with? Yeah, man, I feel you on that. Um, well, because well, like for every for every religion, there's a you know there's some sort of sect, or for every denomination, there's another denomination. Yeah, yeah. You got you got Baptists, Southern Baptists. You got, yeah, uh, you know, there's several different you know teachings of Islam and you know Buddhism. They, they, there's all you know there's just communities within communities. And everyone believes that what they have been taught is a hundred percent the truth. I, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Not to you know, and things things are subjective. You know, but uh, I remember growing up when I was in high school. There was a group of more. There was a, these Mormon dudes that used to come to the house. Uh, yeah. You know, we didn't we didn't have cable, <laughs> so I was just like, they, they would come over and they would try to tell me about Mormonism, and. I remember mom being like, why are you letting these men come into the house? And talk? <laughs> I was like, you don't have internet or cable. This is fascinating. <laughs> uh, and, they would, it, it, and I wasn't trying to get converted. I was just trying to listen to what they had to say about yeah. it. It was just wild that the, that they, it's, it's, it's a, you know, Mormonism is a very strangely patriotic form of Christianity. Yes. It, is, which is wild to me. But I, I remember one time mom asking one of the guys uh, how he knew this to be true. And he was just, you know, smiling really big. And he was like, because I know this to be true because in my heart it is true. That stuck with me. A lot of us, um, I read I read in a book once that was saying, <clears throat> we can't scientifically prove that there is a God, but we also can't scientifically prove that there isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that, that's beautiful to me is because this is all, it all just depends on someone else's, our worldviews and what we think in our hearts to be true. Mm-hmm. So while I might not be, uh, 
as devout as certain other people, I'm not against them being as devout as they are. Um, because that's what, you know, within their heart of hearts, they know this to be true for themselves. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned growing up with all of this is, you know, people just got to know what's in their hearts and stay true to that. Sometimes that is, it can be toxic or negative or have a lot of connotations of hate to it. But sometimes it could be very beautiful. And that's why I, I, you know, I'm, I can be critical of certain people who have who are like that but i'm not critical i try not to be super critical of christianity and the church too much because it has it's had positive effects on me um yeah yeah you know and that's why i don't view myself as a as an atheist because I, I grew up with these teachings and um while certain parts of it i struggle with in my heart, there is some form of truth, which is just to try to be understanding for other people mm -hmm. and to, to care. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I learned from it. And that's, you know, that's where, aside from other things, that's what st sticks with me the most. Man, that's interesting, I, you know, that you bring that up in, in, in talking about that, because I think, you know, so much of that, right, when you talk about the broadness of just, right, the human experience you know, living on a planet and, you know, in, in a sense of, of, uh, okay. You know, you think about the distances between planets and this and this, and that it's like, man, here we are. And again, all these worldviews. And it's just, that's what always confounds me with somebody who, you know, says, I'm just, I'm so sure that it's this way and this is the only way. But then I look about yeah. the amount of diversity that we have in so many other ways. Right. It's like, one, for example, even like working out, working out, you can't just say there's one way to work out. Well, be why? Because there's, oh, yeah. there's so many different body types, right? It's like, mm -hmm. um, I do something called wet shaving. So I, you know, I shave with like a straight razor and a safety razor. Um, and so we buy, there's, and there's thousands of different razors that you can get for those yeah. safety razors. Right. And the number one question that comes up at oftentimes in forums is like, which is the best one? Which is the best one? And everybody's just like, there, there is no best one. The best one is the one that works for you. Exactly. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's the best one, right? It's like, yeah, we can tell you these six right here are great, but they could be mm. horrible, you know, on your face and stuff. So it's, it, it, it confounds me sometimes when folks get so caught up with one way of looking at something that is so grand and mysterious <laughs> that we yeah. just know it. <clears throat> <laughs> billions of people and literal billions of people in the world with different stories than ourselves and we get so caught up with like what we learned within our somewhat small community as the the undying truth right right exactly it's, it's wild it is it really is man um, and how does this stuff, man, make it into your comedy, man? What, uh, what's, you know, and, and why, and why comedy, man? What I, I, I don't think I would have pegged you for a, a comedian, uh, back in the, back I've in the day. I've always, I've all the, the, the thing, so I'll say this, the thing, I don't, I don't read the Bible as much because what stuck for me the most about it as a kid were the stories and yeah. the lessons you can learn from the stories. Um, as a teen, seeing people break down scripture was intimidating because 
a lot a lot of times I saw some people break down scripture and kind of take it for their own not not that taking it for their own personal you know stuff was bad but I seen a lot of people take those stories that were condensed to me as a kid and the lessons of those made sense um you know whereas seeing people break down scripture a lot of times ended up being them saying all right this is why these kind of people are terrible this is why you shouldn't do this and it was like for me when i saw that it was like this isn't why these stories are important stories are very important to me because there's lessons to be learned in them and i've always liked to to tell stories Hmm. um since I was a kid, I've always had like a huge imagination. That's true. I like to write within being interested in film. Uh, all, you know, part another part of the reason why I'm interested in film is because I had so many stories and I felt like a lot of them could do well in films. Um, so part of the reason why I got interested in doing stand-up is always something I was curious about doing, something that people told me you sh- I should try, and I didn't really have the confidence to really do it. Hmm. Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, his name is Mike Lester. He's also a comic. He's really great. And we went to high school together. Mike actually started in high school. Okay. And shortly after high school, Mike was constantly telling me, yo, Devon, you got to hit up an open mic. You got to try it. And I just never did. And for years, Mike was like sending out that olive branch of like, hey, if you ever want to hit it up, there's there's open mics you can do. Um, And eventually, when I, when I turned 25, that was the year I was like, I'm going to start doing all the things that I want to do. Things that I never had the confidence to do, I'm going to do because (laughs) 2017 was a, you know, that was, that was the year preceding the election and everything. And I feel like a lot of folks, once that happened, a lot of folks were stepping into their truths because now they, they had to, you know, as a, you know, radically, a lot of folks had to live into their truths. I had a lot of friends that were coming out and different things. A lot of folks that were, uh, standing their ground and telling people no about certain things, whereas beforehand they might have like been quiet and meek about certain things. Um, 2017 was the year where I started, I cut my dreads off, uh, moved out of my mom's house, took up playing music, and went to go to my first open mic. Um, And that was a great experience, but what helped me succeed in stand-up was a little bit of the film background. So I went to I went to school for screenwriting. Okay. And a lot of things, a lot of things with screenwriting connect with writing jokes because it's all structure. Yeah. Um a lot of times people will say screenwriting is rewriting. Your first script is never the final version of the script. It's the same with the joke. You you tell a joke and you just gotta constantly flesh it out until it's until it's polished. And that because I had that skill of writing scripts that I went to school for, I was able to adapt that into writing. And that helped me early on. And still to this day, my, my style has changed a little bit. When I first started, I used to just write all of my jokes verbatim how I was going to say them <laughs> right, in a right. blue notebook that I would carry everywhere. And now 
I kind of sometimes I'll write them down. Sometimes I'll kind of piece them out in my head. Sometimes I'll straight up just you know save them. Um, just kind of wing it on stage and see where it gets me. But that having that screenwriter background from which came from wanting to just tell stories helped out a lot um because a lot of people were like wow you're a really good joke writer wow you're for someone who's really new you're really good and a lot of that came from mm. like knowing knowing story structure knowing yeah. uh plot points and things like that knowing where things should hit so man that's deep i'm gl- i'm really glad you brought that up because there is something to the structure of it right it's like yeah. um oftentimes well when i taught public speaking i would actually show a lot of different clips of different comedians and while the students initially would find it funny and like, oh man dad you know dr hodge why are you showing all that it's just like well um look at the structure everything you just got through saying like look at how these things hit like how mm. you were connected i remember um Oh, what's his name? The guy who did uh, You Might Be a Redneck if... um, Oh, Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, Jeff Foxworthy. I always remember what he said about comedies, that good comedians are just somebody that's able to take something that passes through all of our minds every day, but able to pluck that out and be able to just kind of nuance it in a certain way, you know, and you're able to connect with that, right? And, you know, again, story. I mean, story is so big. I mean, that that has lasted the eons, the ages, thousands of years of human existence, some say millions. Um, story has been at the, at the center of that, man. So I'm really, I'm, I like that, man. I like that. That's, that's good. What are some of the, what are, and, and I know our time is nigh, man, but what are just real quickly, man, what are some of the challenges you found with, with comedy and uh, how your own, you know, personality shows up in that? Well, is my my story with doing stand up is also impacted by you know that sort of paradigm shift that happened from 2016. Um, I try to right now within stand up there is this um, there's this question between some folks that have been doing it longer and some folks that have been doing it for you know, not as long and re- really a lot of people um, between. Uh, this idea of censorship versus uh, just saying certain things. And a lot of people have this mindset of, you know, punching down and punching up. Okay. Um, me personally, I don't try to punch down. Punching down is just, you know, kind of like talking down to people about people who are uh, typically are affected in society a certain way. Some people will create humor through that. Me having the background that I have since the the election, you know, having been in the, the African People's Caucus, having been to these different, uh, through these different social movements, I try to punch up, which is punching up is, you know, you know talking about politicians or people who are oppressive things like that people things people can connect with where the 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 laughs come out naturally um and my humor is set up i I talk about my own personal experiences um and just you know going through the world i talk about uh not i'm not a i wouldn't say i'm hugely political but because my within being a black man in america i deal with you know politics to a certain extent yeah so because of that it becomes political um 
right now currently well not not currently I, uh i i'm a part of a group called uproar performer arts in minneapolis we have an open mic that was at uh this place called do nord craft spirits whether or not it'll come back we'll see <laughs> um but we also we also do shows and things like that but our biggest thing we host the open mic on mondays uh there and the open mic itself is a place for folks who are typically marginalized to try out their comedy with the caveat that you know anyone could try the open mic and it is a space for black brown indigenous lgbtq folks mm -hmm. and women to try out their stand-up we don't police anyone's identity but with that you know all that being said it's not really a space for cishead white men um <laughs> yeah and that isn't that isn't that mainly that's because within stand up a lot of them have the tendency to punch down true a lot of their yeah. a lot of their comedy comes out of that and with with the current times we're living in that's not we don't view that as acceptable but also that's not going to change things for the better we're looking for change we're looking for mm. uh representation for people to be able to see themselves and laugh at things because what a lot of people what a lot of people don't realize is that humor humor is a comedy is a defense mechanism it, it just is a lot of mm. a lot of comics got a lot of stuff they haven't processed healthily it is just you know it's a defense mechanism but to be able to laugh at things is a radical act to you know to be able to find humor in things is so important we don't even realize that um especially now we're going through so much the news is hitting us so much we got this election we got the pandemic all this stuff right we need we need time to not necessarily escape we don't got to go to disneyland or something like that but we need time to be able to laugh at things to find levity uh, through the struggle and so we created this space not not saying this this head white man can't come to the space they can come and they can support us and see comedy and things like that but it's not a space for them in the sense that they have a tendency to talk down they have a tendency to do a lot of terrible things and they control most of the places where comedy is done in the cities and abroad they yeah. they own the places it's done at they host the places it's done at. They typically get paid the most. Um, all these things. So this is just a space that's different and that comes with some of the core values that a lot of us have learned post, you know, 2016 election. Yeah. Trying to raise our voices up and to create space for other people. Now we we've gotten a lot of flack from different types of people. A lot of us could consider us the fake woke open mic. Some people have called us the uh, the social justice open mic, but which is which is wild because uh, one of one of our hosts, uh, Zochi De La Luna, a really great friend of mine, um, is uh, is uh, well, like shortly after we started the open mic, someone sent in to the venue like, hey. This person is terrible. Uh, this person, blah blah blah. They Zochi is trans, so they like misgendered the person in the email. They threatened to call ice on the person. What? 
Yeah. Jeez. Which is why it's like <sighs> spaces like this is important. Yeah. Because of things like that. And this is just us two days into or two two times into having the open mic. You know, there's so many different open mics throughout the city where yeah. anybody could get time. You know, we're not we're not taking no time from nobody. This is just a place where we just like, yo, this is not a space for you. But because we created that space where people are saying, because we created that space, people feel threatened because it's, it's new, it's different. Uh, it's a hope for things to change in the future and a hope for people, specifically cishead white men, to maybe change the way they do comedy, maybe to not punch down, maybe to not oppress. Um, <laughs> right. Because we created a space where that would happen, is. It's affecting people in such a way where they're threatened by, which is not an incident that is new. You know, we, we've seen that with the 2016 election. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's, that's you know, stand-up, within doing it now, within everything I've been raised with and within how things have affected me personally, it's put me in a position where I want to tell jokes uh to, to all different types of crowds of people. We do this open mic and we get like a very specific audience, but I'll, I'll tell jokes to anyone because I want anyone to laugh, but I also got to poke fun at people. There are times at open mics where I'll, I'll, I'll poke fun at different white men and be like, hey, who'd you vote for? And then that creates <laughs> a dialogue because then people, sometimes people are like, oh, I voted for this person. And sometimes they're like, I, got, I don't got to tell you. And I'm like, that's not the answer. Like, <laughs> Uh, so it, it, I, I do, I tell jokes that are culturally, you know, that, that are rooted in what's happening now, rooted in my own experience, but also have the element of trying to change things and trying to get us to understand one another, one another. And that just comes from being raised the way I was, um, with all the lessons I've been given. Yes, absolutely, man. I mean, and that that's and that's a, that's such a powerful thing, man. I mean, I think, you know, what what you're doing with comedy cuz right, I mean, that's one of the things I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the uh I I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the the previews, but it's a documentary called No Safe Spaces. Um I think mm. uh I'm I'm forgetting. I know uh Oh, what's his name? Uh he was a he was a right-wing radio host for a long time. Um Prager, Dennis Prager put it on along with another comedian. Um, oh, what's his name? I have it pulled up here, man. Um, he was, oh, what was his name? Uh, uh, Adam Carolla. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, and so that's that's one of the arguments, right, that the alt-right uses and just particularly libertarians and whatnot as, as this ideology that, you know, comedians can you know they can't even go on campus and talk about it. but i think about I, i'm glad you distinguish that you know the punching up punching down right it's like well you have a lot of comedians that have existed in that realm particularly white men white cis men who have existed in being able to punch down and make fun of people now all of a sudden some people are saying who've been getting punched on about like we don't want to hear that shit no more man we don't right. we don't want to hear that mess so y'all need to go someplace with that and so i this this is powerful, man. I think that's I think that's great with what y'all are doing. Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 even say this: the the 
people don't realize it. A lot of comics don't even realize it. But the jokes you tell impact the jokes you tell and the type of person you are impact your audience. Yeah. To, and it, it brings a certain type of person as well. For instance, Louis C.K. Yeah. Shortly, shortly after he got, you know, he got found out for doing all those terrible things and he got like all of his shows canceled. In Minneapolis, there's a club called Acme. Acme is like one of the bigger clubs in Minneapolis. It's like a really nice traditional stand-up club. Um, but Louis was getting shows canceled left and right, all this stuff. Acme had him on for, I think, last year in maybe April or March. I might be wrong on the dates, too. But, um, yeah, he was doing like five five days uh, at the club. Wow. Um, and a lot of people protested about it. I, I was at the protest maybe two days. And one, on one hand, the type of stand-up he's doing now is feeding into the alt-right. It is it's one thing to know of a comic who did, or a person who did terrible things, abused people, all this and that, but the audience he brings, even though he did these kind of things, is significant. The yeah. people that were coming into the club that were crossing the picket line. Some of them had terrible things to say to the protesters. Some of them were wearing insignia uh, that had connection with some white supremacist groups, not straight up like uh, swastikas and things like that, but some sort of thing, some alt-right things you'd only know if you kind of peeped at what was going on with those groups. Some of the people had... Mm. Just the foulest of things to say to the protesters. Um, and these are the people that Louis is bringing in. That's interesting. I did not know this. Yeah. we, we I think the, the protest was, there was like maybe four days where people protested and Louis performed for maybe five. And two of the days I went, I remember hearing people saying foul stuff to, there were a lot of women in the, in the, in the picket and people just saying creepy stuff that, was in line with what Louis did. Um, some of the people, some of the people were comics. Uh, there were people who were comics in Minneapolis that stopped going to that club because of them allowing Louis to do that. This idea that like it's it's hard for them to get time there. Because it's, 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 it can be hard to get time at certain clubs or even to be able to one day be able to headline or, or host at a club. Yeah. This man does this terrible thing, and they give him five days. Granted, these, these dates sell out. All of his dates sold out. But the, the idea that he could do this terrible thing and still be allowed to perform uh, is, is part of why we why we do what we do because that kind of thing it's not acceptable and it has to it has to change because the world has changed yeah man that yes man yeah man that's interesting and see and that's and that's exactly exactly what i'm talking about right it's like what some of the biggest changes right it's like you think on one end like oh louis doing this kind of like woke comedy you know he wears the t-shirt and wants to be kind of this you know the comics comic but then it's like and again i don't know him so i don't necessarily know what's going on in him but it's like it's interesting to see the crowd that he brings in five days yeah you know it's like man all right all right 
Um, and that's kind of what this that documentary No Safe Space is about, right? It's like, you know, we've gotten to the point where, you know, people can't say anything and we have a right to be offended and that. And essentially mm -hmm. it's the, the standard white guy, you know, setup, right? It's like, why can't I say anything I want to be able to say? Um, you're censoring me. Freedom of speech, America. <laughs> You know, yeah. why are we wearing masks? It's like the whole, you know, what is I wanna it? I want to go to Applebee's. That's right. I want to go to Applebee's. <laughs> oh, man. That is, yeah, 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 yeah. And then all I, the. I, one thing I'll say is um, in terms of spa safe spaces with comedy, uh, for instance, with our open mic, like, we, we don't, a lot of people will tell us that they view it as a safe space. We don't view our space as a safe space but we have said that it is perhaps safer um we don't we don't uh we don't um censor anyone in fact we try to make you know, when when people have the time to go up we let them have that time we'll light them when we have to light them we don't cut anyone's mic or anything like that but we've created a space that is set up in such a way that if anyone were to do certain jokes, yeah, the atmosphere would get very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, just because that's the audience, the audience that comes out, the audience that comes out is the audience, specifically for our open mic, is the audience that doesn't think that they would like stand up because they're so used to seeing people talk down upon them. Yeah, they're so used to a lot of our, a lot of people who come up to our show have been like, hey. I didn't think I liked stand-up, but really, I just didn't like hearing these uh, everybody loves Raymond-ass jokes, you know? Like, <laughs> or they, they've been like, I didn't think I liked stand-up because one time I was at an open mic and someone said some homophobic stuff, or they were telling black jokes, or they were doing some misogynist stuff. Our open mic is set up in such a way, it's a, it's a platform for people that are usually marginalized, and because of that, it's set up in search such a way that there have been times where people have said stuff that was misogynist and it did not go well and they realized in that moment and they were vocal in that moment on stage and they're like you know what i can't use that joke anymore <laughs> or there have been people who've done the open mic uh and tried to say something that might have hit really well at a show where they were at an open mic where the audience was predominantly white men. Maybe it like it did really well in that audience, but yeah. then they go to an audience that's like a little bit more diverse. Not only does it not do well, but people come up to them afterward and be like, "Hey, you're better than that. Why would you do that?" So it's, yeah, it's been dope to have a space where people can 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 have the freedom to tell jokes, but also the criticism can happen on stage and afterward. There's there's been times where people have told jokes that have been really foul and we've let we've given them their time to tell the jokes, but afterwards we've been like, hey fam, so that's that joke, I've seen you do that joke a bunch of times all throughout the city. It never gets any laughs. Why are you still telling it? Because a lot of times these jokes that punch down you know, no one's gonna no one's gonna make a black joke that's just the greatest black joke on the earth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's is is 2020. No one's gonna change the world with a homophobic joke or a racist joke. You gotta come with material that is better than that, that is universal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to create or like challenge people to do. I love it, man. I 
I love it. I love it. That's what's up, brother. I mean, that's that's some that's some revolutionary shit right there, man. So that's I, I love it. I'm all about that. Man, uh, this has been an amazing conversation, Davon. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time and sharing life and and thoughts. Thank you. This was this was dope. It's yeah. good to see you. I was happy to talk about what's going on and everything. Yeah, brother. Now, so I mean, you know, where can folks find you? Maybe they want to bring you out, and you know, uh, and and whatnot, and, or maybe they want to, you yeah. know, have you do some some con- some online stuff for them, man. But <laughs> where might folks come and and look you up, or even just you know hear some of your stuff? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Instagram, uh Davon at Davon Bland, D-E-V-O-H-N, B-L-A-N-D. I'm on Twitter, although Twitter is a Twitter is a strange world. Yeah, it is. Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, I I'm I can't I can't sink them in on Twitter, but I'm killing on Facebook. You can't I gotta so I got that. I'm on Facebook. Really, any any social media. I'm on TikTok. Although I'm I'm probably gonna delete that at some point. But I'm all I'm all over social media. Sorry, I just needed to plug my thing in, man. Um, listen. Well, and for those of you listening, um, I will always put these in the show notes at whitehodgepodcast.com and uh, some links to. Some of the works of dear brother Davon here. Um, thank you again, man, for coming out. And, um, you know, this is just the beginning. I'm going to have to get you back out when we're talking more topical stuff on on film. And I have to maybe get you out to class, too, at some point. Once, once the ban is lifted, right? Once we can yeah, go back yeah. to... Anytime, to- anytime I'd, I'd be down. Once, hopefully once, you know, think, I don't think things will get, come to normal. But I think things will come to a point where I don't have to fist bump my mom when I see her. I can hug her again. <laughs> Once we right. get to that point, I would love to come out and visit y'all and all that. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. 